Wow, Jason. Um, happy December. I spent hours decorating. Not not here. You didn't. Clearly, <laughs> it looks like an explosion of your holiday attic box. I resent the fact that you don't find my aesthetic Christmas design. Look, the Carmudgeon Show logo has a Santa Claus type person on it. It's I went, very um, tasteful, festive, Look, naughty. Like we can flip this. This uh, what's these called? Stocking. Stocking from naughty to nice. If we want to, in the middle of the podcast, this is great. Um, um, yes, yeah, very festive. Welcome. Thanks for that to this episode of the Carmudgeon Show. I'm Derek Tam Hyphen Scott. This yeah. is Jason Camisa, and the Haggerty Podcast okay. Network is part of the. Carmudgeon show. Yes. Um, today we're going to talk about our 10. Well, we're going to tell them. Yeah. We're going to talk about our best drives of the year. Yes. Um, starting with a review of the brand new Porsche 911 ST, which I have been lucky enough to pilot. So spoiler alert, these things might be connected. Maybe. Possibly. I don't know. Uh, if you like this content, don't forget that you can help support it by considering joining the Haggerty Drivers Club, which includes unlimited flatbed roadside assistance for all your classics, a subscription to our award-winning magazine, and much, much more. There's a link below, and Derek is going to clap. You said uh, roadside assistance for your classics. That's like cars, right? Not like literature. Can't call them and have them tow your books. Greek. Clap and shut up. This episode of The Carmudgeon Show is brought to you by the Valentine One Radar Locator. Find radar before it finds you. Get more information at bit.ly slash valentine1 underscore haggerty. That's https colon forward slash forward slash bit dot ly slash capital V-A-L-E-N-T-I-N-U number one underscore capital H-A-G-E-R-T-Y. <clears throat> oh, the weather outside is frightful, but the fire is so delightful. Don't, don't say fire. You can't use that word around me. What did you burn out? Me, me around. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime anyone responds to that with a DM of the fire emoji, I'm just like, please oh, don't use that emoji. That, yeah. <laughs> Not with this car. Well, I guess we have our intro <laughs> to this episode. Okay. What is this episode? This episode is all about me driving something that you haven't driven. Okay, what is it? I'm not telling you. Uh, this no, is going to be a not, difficult episode. That was, that was our opportunity to make you laugh uh, and come back at me because that was like the Cybertruck episode. Uh, all I did was like, and you had nothing to say other than, that sucks. Yeah, that was my role. People are like, that guy is too, uh, what is it? Skeptical about yeah. shit. Good. I, look, I haven't looked at the comments on that, to be honest. I just haven't had a chance. But uh, yeah, we needed a yin to the yang. I mean, on that one, I was very excited about it. I am incredibly impressed with that as an engineering exercise. Uh, and I think the funnest thing is that, <laughs> not fun, I didn't, I'm not really on Twitter all that much. And I didn't realize that X slash Twitter has its own little universe where people don't ever leave there. Mm. Um, and it was really interesting looking at the commentary because a lot of people didn't know who I am, was, what I do. Um, and of course there was so much hate one way or another Yes, about, it's definitely polarizing. It was too positive, it was too negative, and I'm like, great, That's I'm so glad I put that line in there about everyone's already made up their mind about this uh, about this truck. But the funny thing is, I'm like, stop telling me what I think about this this vehicle. Like, I, Jason Camisa, the person who you think you're talking about, you don't know. 
I feel like just being like, you don't know me. It's my hot body. I'll do what I want. But like, you I just don't, did. <laughs> do I want a Cybertruck? No, that wasn't the point of the video. Do I want you to support someone who politically you don't align with? No, that's not the point of the video. I'm a car, I'm an automotive journalist. I'm here to give a review. I'm here to play a bit. And the, uh, the I'm a bit actor. And the bit is, I am the person this vehicle is intended for. Does this vehicle meet my needs? Yes or no. And also in the case of this truck, how has this thing done, what has this thing done to surprise us and change the industry? That's the video. So Jason Camisa, the automotive journalist, doesn't really care what you know, I got a bunch of emails from people like, how can you align your praise for this vehicle with what Elon said about whatever? Okay, number one, I don't know what Elon said about anything. I don't do people, I do cars, right? <laughs> and that's it. And if I start digging back into the history of every single car company and every single executive who works for every single car company for everything I own, I can't have any cars. But that's certainly not German ones. No, nine. <laughs> So yeah, or, or Ford, like you can't have a Ford, can't have this. Maybe Ebenezer Dodge was a twat. I don't fucking know. I'm here to talk about the car. And so I found that so interesting, how unbelievably hyper-polarizing and how hyper-politicized the Cybertruck is. And I'm like, everyone just calm down. I'm here as a journalist. Well, the chief executive is alive and he is a public figure. Yeah, he is, but I'm which not. Which puts that vehicle in a different category from other vehicles where the True. people are dead. True. And I guess profits would go into his pocket. And so if you like him or don't like him, that should factor into your decision. I will never tell somebody where to spend their money based on their beliefs or where, you know, everyone works hard. Most people work really hard for their money. Um, and I, uh, great. If you don't want to give your money to somebody or you do want to support somebody else, I think that's a wonderful personal political decision that you can and should make. And I will never try to influence that. All I did was talk about a product in, in, you know, and maybe the mistake I made was just, I mentioned Elon because he is so inextricably linked to that company, the face of the company. Um, and he is, you know, he was the impetus for this. It was him and Franz to do this, but I find that I find the whole reaction so interesting. Um, we did get four and a half million views in a week. Like it's definitely our fastest view generating video of all time. Um, we'll see if it, continues to grow from there or dies but uh it was a hell of a fallout week like all mm -hmm. i did was just interviews and fun. put out fires i wasn't it was even fires. fires it was just i mean people were tagging me and everything apparently matt farrah got all upset about something i don't know i i wasn't the best part was i was locked out of twitter for the first three days huh. uh, i got a new phone i tried to log in i couldn't it wanted to authenticate with some authenticator app that i'd never used don't have access to da -da 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 -da, and i was locked out so of course the joke with me and the guys at tesla that i know is like well elon fucking canceled my account 100 uh -huh. not the case it was funny um but i was back in and i'm like oh my god i've never seen so much food fighting food fighting um but the other person that I was supposed to have spent, oh, I didn't spend any time with Elon. Um, there was one huge automotive figure that I was supposed to have spent time with last week, and he was sick in bed in Germany. Andreas Poininger? Mr. Andreas Poininger, mm -hmm. who is our hero. Well, look, there's the mark I made on the table with, yes, the, with the, uh, the hard fucking steel. Um, I drove the 911 ST that last week. Was it um, stunning? It's S slash T. Stunning. Yes. Um, I don't. I don't want to be that guy. However, 
It's the best sports car on sale at the moment. Possibly the best sports car ever made. Ever? Yeah. I was can going- you talk? Can, can, we, can we skip right to the part where you complain about the gearing? It's 8% shorter than the regular car. Is that enough? Almost. Here's the thing. So we were talking, all right, let, let's back up for, for, there's a bit of an assumed knowledge thing happening here. So one of the many variants of the 911 lineup is, uh, is the S slash T, which is mm-hmm. a new name. We haven't actually seen S slash T externally badged on a 911 ever, ever. Did 1968. There was an ST. Yes. Was it actually badged ST? Uh, some people put that on the cars. <laughs> yeah. Um, the whole idea of that was, oh, you'll know better, that you take all the go-fast parts from the S and all of the lightweighting parts from the T, which was not actually a lightweighting special. It was a stripped-out, like, cheap version, right? Yes, okay. base model. Base model. Uh, and you so you put all the go-fast shit in the base model, and ta-da. And it was never sold to the public as a regular car. This, this was always a competition car. And the idea, when I talked to Andy a couple of years ago about 911R... I said, well, so what's the next R going to be? And he was like, there won't be one. And I think he was right in saying that because he didn't want to start resurrecting. He didn't want to make a new brand name and didn't want to diminish the impact of the original 911R, of which there were 20-ish. 20 made and they're worth, this is ad libs. Seven figures. Yes, a lot of money. One pterodactyl. <laughs> if we're playing ad libs. Um, but uh, my seat was squishing down again. Um, but uh, so what... What the 911 ST, though, is, is another historical name used internally by Porsche that they resurrected for the 992 version of the 911R. This is the same. But introduced second, not first. Second. The 911R preceded the Touring, whereas in this case, the Touring preceded the ST. 911R created the Touring by funding the development of the six-speed manual that was required for the Touring, right? The whole idea of GT3... Do you think that the Touring was intended to be a thing when the 911R was conceived, or do you think that the the Touring was a response to the success of the 911R? Yes. So, both, is is what I mean. So... What happened is 911R pissed a lot of people off. Um, yeah, we, myself included. Okay. Let me go back and defend some of the people that I've spoken to who were behind this. Um, but they, re, they, they redeemed themselves. So I ultimately, my ire was short-lived. Right. The, the problem with GT3 is the GT division is part of not Porsche, but Porsche Motorsport, which is a subsidiary uh, with its own mission. And as a GT car, it is expected to be as fast as possible around a track. That is the GT car's mission. Unfortunately, the GT3 has become so goddamn good at being a street car that people want to experience it on on a daily basis or on the road. uh, And that creates uh, a, a conflict. The PDK transmission will be faster around a racetrack by virtue of its no interruption and power shifts. The manual is what people what the people want for experience. And when the 991 GT3 was being created, the team was tasked with they were given one transmission, and they did develop both cars. Uh, they developed a, they put a seven speed in it, the regular manual, and they put a, a PDK in it, and. Andreas Poininger hated the seven speed. He thinks it's one gear too many um, and complicates the shift linkage and doesn't feel all that great. Um, And 
I don't remember. I remember he rode with me in the car. I had an early, early, early exclusive on it. Thanks to being part of road and track and doing a 50th anniversary on the car. Um, this is a 991.1 GT3 yes. in for the 2015 model year. Yep. So that's it. 2014. So, so right, th- right after it debuted at Geneva is I went straight from Geneva to Weissach with Porsche. Oh great. Now I got to pull up the pictures, but I drove the car before anyone else did. And we had to hold it for a month. Um, basically because it was part of this anniversary. It was amazing. It was such a cool experience, but the cool coolest experience to me was meeting Andy Pruninger because he was being bombarded with phone calls and screaming, everyone screaming at him because it was the GT3 had debuted PDK only. Mm-hmm. So he, he gets there in, at like six o'clock in the morning to Weissach the morning afterwards. And he had clearly been beaten up. Um, and he was like, you know, to all these people, I just want to say, drive the fucking car. He's, I, I hope none of this makes it back to any management Porsche. He, immediately revealed himself to me to be an authentic human being and an authentic car person by being passionate about his project, which is unusual from German executives. But he was so beaten down by people saying, what the fuck, what the fuck, why automatic only? And the explanation for this is they were put in between that rock and hard place, right? The GT3 was meant to be a track car and the, and the PDK was quicker. And so the team ultimately decided on the PD, PDK. What he then did was come up with the idea of he, the team, they, they, Porsche, I don't know exactly who did this, came up with the idea of a 911 arm mm-hmm. as a very, as a fairly low volume special that would take the GT3 RS and the GT3 and parts of each and combine them into one manual transmission, um, relatively low volume, amazing With no showpiece. rear wing with no rear wing, looks basic, but it's the wide body and the magnesium roof from the RS and mm-hmm. um, and uh, the 8,500 RPM motor from the RS, but you know looks more like a base 911. Um, and the intention was, as I understand, to sell thousands of them. But the person who was responsible for sales and marketing didn't, was not, is not, was, is, I don't know if he's still there, um, at the time was not a car person, did not understand this at all, thought no one would ever uh, buy a manual transmission, thought no one would ever care about this and refused to allow it to be a regular sort of couple thousand, 5,000 unit car and said, we will restrict production to 500. And those 500 will be offered first to people who are Porsche collectors who own 918. That's the only chance that we have of ever selling this car. Now in the background, what was happening was I believe Andy's goal was to use this 911R to, as a project to develop his own six-speed because he didn't like the seven-speed gate. That came in the regular Carrera. Yeah. And so when this happened, it was quite a big blow because he, I think, expected to sell thousands of them. Um, and the long and short was they decided to limit production to 500 and they started contacting the 918 people who had bought Porsche 918s. 918s. Uh, and they got somewhere in the 560s, I think was, if I remember, this years ago now. Uh, and they ran out of, uh, they ran out of allocations cars. for R because almost everyone was trying to buy one. So they had no choice but to bump up production of the 911R. Uh, and the most the factory could have done at that point before the model switch over to the 991.2 was 1,000. So the same marketing and salespeople thought they'd be fucking cutesy, rounded it down from 1,000 to 991, and they sold 991 911Rs. And then they, you know, immediately became worth two or more times the MSRP. Yeah, they were only what 180 grand. Only, uh, I, I think, think they were 225 ish or so. Okay, because you have the magnesium um, stuff. They were more expensive than okay. than a GT3. Than a GT3 yeah. because um, but, 
But it was, I mean, that was a really, really wonderful review. I did, not my review. The, the car, I had so much fun with the car. It was it was a motherfucker at the limit, if I'm honest. I had a really hard time controlling it on, we, did, we rented a runway. Um, but the car is just everything you want in a 911 and none of the bullshit. Yes. And all um, the stuff that I think a lot of people feel has gone missing, especially yeah. the 991. Yeah. And this is because the whole, the GT car team is clearly populated, start from, from the top down with people who truly understand what, what we as enthusiasts want from 911. Um, so the brilliant move was to use the 911R's profit margin to to pay for the development of not a to mention manual. the data from the market showing that the cars had doubled in value since yeah. before the MSRP. They before were, the first one was even produced, they were trading at double MSRP yeah. uh, and almost triple because there was one that sold for six hundred thousand GBP. Um, anyway, so that was parlayed into the GT3 Touring, mm-hmm. which was in some ways a better car um, than the than the 911R was, but it was the narrower body and non-magnesium roof and non-plastic windows and stuff like that. Um, and that has now allowed, oops, sorry, I hit the microphone, that has allowed the GT car, the GT3 lineage to be divided into two. You have the GT3, which is ostensibly PDK, track-oriented, and then you have the GT3 Touring, which is the street streetable version of that created a new brand for the for Porsche, created a, a whole new thing. And that's, but then they also put that same transmission in the regular GT3 with the wing. Yeah. And oh, yeah. it was a zero cost option. And, and this is all just sort of how you move through a politically dysfunctional organization from my understanding, right? I mean, the Porsche doesn't want to build these cars. They want to build thousands and thousands of base 911 Carreras, but no one's buying them. I think they're happy to make GT cars because the margin presumably is higher on a more expensive car. And well, now it is because now they've realized that GT3s are all selling for $100,000 over sticker or more. And so now you have a 911 ST, which is the next R. And they did not make the mistake of underpricing this car the way they did the last one. So it's 300 and something thousand, $350,000. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm seeing cars that are MSRPs in the 400s. Yeah, wouldn't be surprised. Deep um, into the 400s. And, and that's really shitty for, for enthusiasts who aren't, generationally wealthy yeah although you at least you have the option of the touring i mean which is still not it's 100 over my experience with the touring was that basically the 911r came out and i said thank god they finally made the car that i wanted i mean i always liked the idea of a gt3 but found the wing objectionable Mm -hmm. Uh, and then when it went pdk only i said well that's it yeah i'm never going to participate in this and then the 911 uh, touring came out and I said, great, they're making exactly the car. I said, if you make a car with a manual transmission and a wing, I will buy it. And then and they did it. And I was like, ah, oh, fuck. Well, and a 9,000 RPM, you know, yeah, a, a GT car, okay. a GT car with no wing yeah. and, uh, with a manual transmission. And then they actually did it. And then I was like, ah, oh, shit, they called my bluff. Right. <clears throat> Gotta buy one. So I bought one. <laughs> yeah. But my only problem with those cars, the only objection that I have is that they are probably well, the price too low by Porsche. So this whole idea of I'm not paying over sticker is a really shame. Uh, it's a it's a remnant of this idea of MSRP in the U.S. Right? Porsche underprices the cars, but they're 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 fucking themselves out of all this money, which is stupid. And then the dealers are just reacting to they price from the bottom up. They're like, here's the bill of material, materials. We'll add a margin on top. I think Porsche in the U- whoever is responsible for pricing the GT cars needs to be fired. 
Because well, I mean, the GT cars have gone uh, the, between the nine nine one and the nine nine two. The G, the base price of a GT three went up at twenty five thousand dollars. I mean, yeah, but the actual sales price went up one hundred and fifty thousand uh, dollars. Yeah, now GT threes with that are tourings are selling in the mid to high two hundreds on an MSRP. That depending how the car is configured, of around two hundred. So it's now for a touring, it's like a fifty to seventy five thousand dollars premium. This is all within the last right. few months because the market has generally softened, and so there's less wacky stuff going on. But what about like a GT three RS? Yeah, RS is because they're new or very expensive. And what happens? Like 150 is, over or just 100? I don't know what the, the sticker is, honestly, on an RS, but I know what those cars are trading for. So regular GT3s, now that they've been out for a couple of years for 992s, mm-hmm. are now selling kind of 50 over ish. Okay, but here's so, here's my thing. So they price, let's say they're priced at $250,000 from Porsche, right? Mm-hmm. Porsche's built in a certain amount of bill of materials and research and development and amortized federalization costs and whatever else. My guess is that on a $250,000 GT3 Porsche, after spending literal billions of dollars developing that thing, is making somewhere along the lines of forty dollars or $50,000 in profit on it. And now some schmuck dealer is making another fifty dollars to seventy five dollars or $100,000 on that. Yes. That is beyond fireable. The people who have underpriced those cars to that point that so misjudged the market should be fired immediately. Because if you have a markup, that money is flowing into the pockets of dealers, not into the into the coffers of the, company, the company that spent billions to develop it. And sweat and right. tears and invented the whole thing, you yeah. know, as opposed to a dealer. Who just all just happens to be printing there. Printing money. Yeah, and printing money. I'm so offended. I mean, the whole ADM thing is just... Right. Yeah. So Porsche's stupid. I mean, Porsche, North, Porsche Cars North America should be ashamed of itself. It should have immediately pulled the price and bumped it up by $100,000 and have that flow right back into the GT car division so they can develop even more stuff. Because you got it. Can you imagine the GT car team over there is going, great, we're giving 10, we're giving $10,000 per car in, you know, and R&D costs for the next one. And uh, I don't know how that works. I'm just guessing. And some shithead scumbag car dealer in the US is pocketing $100,000 on everyone. Not cool. But this is the system. This is the system and this is the price of success. Um, and so my, I was surprised to see that the base price of the 911 ST was in the threes. Mm-hmm. I thought, wow, that's okay. Now, somebody's getting the message. Um, but Tourings, when they first came out, were selling around 300. GT3s are still in the high twos, aren't they, right? I mean, uh, yeah, for a manufacturer. Yeah, 225 to 300, depending on the condition and the configuration right. and whether it's a Touring or not. But yeah. you can buy a 992 now that are sensitive to transmission too, even though there's no cost difference to buy the car with one transmission or another. But the manuals are more the manuals expensive. are more expensive. And so like if you're a consumer, then you buy the manual if you want to make the car be worth more money in or the secondary Or you market. want to enjoy the fucking car. So yes. here's the thing about ST. ST doesn't have that problem because ST is manual only. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like 911R, it's carbon roof, fenders, doors, hood, carbon kind of everything most of the body panels um there is nothing ferrous on the exterior of the car so everything that is not carbon is aluminum Mm -hmm. um the cars that we drove are european specs so they have very very thin glass oh yes um, and a carbon roll cage in the back Mm. um i think the quoted curb weight and porsche is not one for you know this dry weight bullshit that other car companies do was 3056 pounds for the u.s market making the 911 st the lightest of any 992 in the range um it has the four liter uh from the gt3 rs so it's 9000 rpm redline 518 horsepower at 8500 um 
nine throttles in total, six throttle bodies, like ITBs, two that control intake runner length and volume, and then one that's there as an emergency shutdown for for compliance um, for whatever reason. Um, Six-speed manual, uh, magnesium wheels that are available in a pearl white that made me absolutely moist. No, no, I flooded my basement. It was, the, holy shit, gorgeous. It's available in this blue, whatever, whatever. Um, kind of bucket bucket seats, kind of everything you want in 911. The only thing that doesn't have that I want is a heated seat and a heated steering wheel, but no mode selector switch, no rear active steering. Oh, really? Uh-huh. Just all in the pursuit of purity for the driving experience. Mm. And there are times when you go into a, you know, you go into a product launch and you just know the thing's going to be great or you know the thing's going to be bad. It's just, you know, you know the team involved, you know the ingredients. There was no way this car wasn't going to be great, right? Yeah. I and mean, you just got in it. Yeah. And then we're sitting through the tech presentation and they tell me, well, we've shortened the gear ratios by 8%. And I'm like, oh, okay, not nearly enough. So it's a 74 mile an hour second and a, I'm sorry, 47 first, 74 second, and 103 third. That's still quite tall. Still too tall. Right? That's my immediate reaction. Like, okay, 103 miles an hour in California means they seize your car. And that's, you. I, I want to hear that 9,000 RPM scream more than twice before I go to jail. Um, and uh, yeah, so I was like, okay, that's, that's, you know, helpful, but whatever. I made it approximately three minutes before I just decreed like, this is over, it's done. I don't need to drive it anymore. I don't need to go around a corner. I don't need to do anything. I would absolutely, if I had the means to do it, plunk down three or $400,000 in this car. It is absolutely unmatched in terms of the experience of a sports car. It is fucking perfection. And I am, the biggest flaw with it is that I can't afford one. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason being, nothing to do with everything we've, we've talked about. Consumers. No, there's two things about it. It is deafeningly loud inside the car. Absolutely deafening. 80 something, I think it was 84 decibels cruising at 5,000 RPM in second gear. Like mechanical noise beyond belief. And then you layer intake noise on that when you're on it. That is just otherworldly. Who cares about the exhaust? You only ever hear it if you roll the windows down and listen to it bouncing off of something. It is completely enveloping in the same way that like, some old Ferraris are, whatever, fucking absolutely the star of the show. And then they pulled 21.4, over 20 pounds out of the clutch. Mm. It's a Carrera GT. Mm. In terms of uh, friendliness, responsiveness. It is, you can get, and I will post a video in here, you haven't seen it yet, sadly, from idle to redline and back within a half a second. Wow. It's, I'm possibly exaggerating, but it is literally the tack needle moves so fast that you can't believe that it's real. And yet you're, what you're hearing lines up. And so your upshifts have to be as absolutely fucking fast as you can, or you won't catch the revs on the way down. Your downshifts are instead of a full bucket full of throttle for a second waiting for some laggy ass turbo shitbox to respond, where it's vroom at a tenth throttle. Mm-hmm. And what it ma- what happens is, and the shifter is another ten mil shorter than a GT3, which means twenty mil shorter than a regular Porsche uh, shifter. 
And so the effort's perfect. The clutch is perfect, which is like a five puck race clutch. That's eight inches instead of 10 inches in diameter. It's all new, um, is the best clutch shifter throttle interaction I've ever felt in any vehicle ever. Really? Yep. Holy shit. And there's so little rotating mass that you actually can watch the tachometer when the engine tries to keep itself from stalling if you drop the revs from three grand. Mm -hmm. So you just like hold the three grand and you stop it. And you know, modern tacks are, are, are programmed Damn. to just ignore variation. You watch it. And it gets it. And you're like, that's cool. This thing, all the computing power of a Mars rover, and it still can barely keep this fucking thing running. That is how it, life should be. I'm in love with this car. I'm in love oh, it. Oh, no. I know. I know. There's no chance that I can ever have one. Um, but let's hope the GT car division strategy continues where now this clutch and some other, all some of the other little tweaks wind up <sighs> in the regular cars because it, is it, is that clutch an option? Cause I know in the 911 mm -hmm. R they had a single and dual mass yeah. option. I don't believe there's an option. This, this one comes standard with the, the manual, the single mass flywheel. I don't believe there was an option for dual mass. Um, and it does have rev matching, but it defaults to off every time you turn the car. Excellent. I didn't even try it. Fuck Actually, it. that's how my touring was also. Yeah. Cause it was a sport button on that yes. one, right? Yeah. Um, I, I don't even get to the steering best E pass on the market. I didn't get to the suspension. It's way softer and more compliant than a GT three is, even though it's pretty, I mean, you don't, you will have no pretense that you're in anything but a real car when you're in it and because of i was always impressed by my touring's fluidity in the ride much softer than say an amg gt mm. but this is much 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 better the 992 gt3 is stiffer than the 991 mm. was in in i think it's probably down to the wheel size because you would get these tremendous wax through the through the chassis of the car from like a, a linear bump um but the other thing is the engine is so present because the gears are really short asterisk. I said they're too long a second ago. Um, that cruising at 70 miles an hour or 80 miles an hour is actually possible without having to set cruise control. And this is something that I love about old cars and I don't like about new cars is that they're so isolated, so quiet, and then geared so long that the difference between 80 and 85 miles an hour is seven RPM and you don't hear it anyway. Mm -hmm. This thing is three grand. It's over three grand at 70 in top wow. gear. Like it's geared too short Sixth on the highway. This. Sixth is. So, the, so that must be a very close ratio gearbox. They are right on top of each other. And so first is 47. And you know, so you're like, oh, okay. Four, five, six are on top of each other. One, two, three, not so much. One, two, three. Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. We are still really close to each other. 47 to 74 is not a huge run for a 9,000 RPM engine. And it's not like, I mean, it could put all the power down at first. I don't think it really could handle that much shorter gearing. I would still make first, second, and third shorter, but I would not touch four, five, six. Mm -hmm. What I would actually annoyingly prefer is a long seventh <laughs> because half an hour on the highway and it's, here's the thing is I would prefer it, but I don't want it. I'm done, goodbye. Because <laughs> this car should be, I was, so I was in the car with Jason Fenske and we did like a two Jasons, one car thing on this. And he was like, you know, blah, 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 blah. People are nostalgic about new cars, uh, about old cars. And that's why they buy the old cars. I'm like, no, they're nostalgic about old, about old cars because they were better. 
This is the one new car that feels like an old car in the experience and you're overwhelmed. Your senses are overwhelmed mm-hmm. other than like the steering. You put in, get me into a 997 GT3 RS four liter and I have a feeling I'd prefer that drive. But I think that might be the only Porsche I've ever driven that even comes close to this um, in terms of just assaulting you with all of the right stuff. Um, and it feels like an old car. You don't really feel the, the back end moving around so much. You don't really feel too much in the steering. But in terms of just delivering experience, no one has anything on it. And none of us can have it. Yep. But that did lead us to another question. Is it the best? So it's the best car you've driven this year? Absolutely. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, so then we decided to. What else? Uh, what other best cars have you I driven this year? I think I've rattled on long enough. I think you can tell me what your best I haven't ranked my list, okay. but I do this every year. I go through my spreadsheet of the the cars that I drove each year, and uh, you I know, do that in January because the year's not over yet. Uh, yeah, I mean we're doing this a little bit prematurely. We're we're recording. We've got you know entire minutes of the year left in which we might drive other remarkable cars. Yeah, but I think uh, let's talk about the ten best drives of the year for I, uh, for each of us. And I we have not we have not shared our notes with each other, so I really should have. What are the dis, the the um, deciding factors for you for di, for bestness? Well, I guess that's a question because I was going to ask you before: is it the car or the road or the experience? Yes, that you had? exactly. Because I think a lot of it is a combination of both the circumstances, i.e., the road and how much time and you know how I don't know how much you can unchain the car versus. Uh, I'm going to say that my best drive of last year was actually the lemons race that I did last week that we'll talk about in. Uh, in the next episode um because it was <laughs> hilarious <laughs> but uh but that's not the best car you drove no I'm, i made these really about the car okay m- more so than the experience there could be cars on here that i that haven't made it onto the list because i didn't get enough time in them i guess that's what that's i'm trying really, to say that yeah that's totally fair um i will start with a car that we both drove uh and it's potentially controversial but the uh the remotes nevera it's on my list okay Uh, okay. (laughs) so uh, i guess i can cross that out all right let's talk about this well we did we did a whole episode on it we did they should uh, go and watch that episode because yeah pretty cool it is in the same way that you just described with the 911 ST, it gives you faith that there are people out there who are true petrol heads who are making stuff in the future. And if you subscribe to the idea that electrification is inevitable, then it's a car that gives you hope that it'll be not as awful as we all thought it might be. Uh, hold on a second. I th- I think, hold on if I'm too far You're away pulling from up Mike. your spreadsheet. Yeah, because I think I said something exactly like that in my notes. Um I th- so fast and such an event that it replaces the internal combustion hypercars IMO. Mm-hmm. Um, that was my concluding line. I drove it in the rain. Mm-hmm. It is 2000 ish horsepower. Um, and it was spectacular yeah. um, from start to finish. And not just so many people in the Cybertruck comments were like, I could microwave a turkey faster than i could roast it but do i want to microwave a turkey no i'll i don't care how fast this ev does zero to 60 i to be honest couldn't give a shit how fast the the remote is mm-hmm. the experience of driving it was one of the best 
Yes. Powertrain aside, power aside, one of the best of the year. Great steering, beautiful suspension, um, beautiful shape. Yeah, the um, way that it masks its mass and the way that it sort of executes what you as the driver want it to do. Uh, it's There's this sort of transparency and weirdly a purity to the way that it executes your requests, even though it's all like augmented yeah. by the computers on yeah. board. And I had the, uh, but that's the, the difference when you take the same hardware or the same, you know, hardware and you have it programmed by people who are passionate about driving versus people who are like, we're going to go down the road. Yep. You know, it's very clearly a product of petrol heads, even uh, though there's no petrol on board. Yeah, no, but they are, look, you know, we've met a couple of the people and they have petrol cars too. I mean, yes. doesn't, uh, well, technically I think Matarimats replaced the engine in his M3 with an electric motor and that's how the yeah, company Courier GT, for example, I mean, which is a benchmark gasoline powered car. But I just say, so the, my concluding thought was that it replaces internal uh, combustion hypercars, but my starting sentence in my notes was, this is the reason Volkswagen Group just flat out handed over the keys to the Bugatti castle to Rimats. How does an upstart do this? Mm-hmm. Um, not just like not just a straight line trick, very much like Lucid versus Tesla, where car guys have clearly been involved here. Unbelievable car. Yeah. Um, definitely. Okay. I like that we have... Some alignment in, in, in common. Right I, there. I'm going to propose another that I think we might both have on Do our it. list is the um, the F150 Raptor R. <laughs> Damn it! Of course, yeah. <laughs> That's such a guilty pleasure. It's it's just. I mean, again, these are all driven by experience, right? You want something that makes you just feel alive and connected to what it's doing. And in that thing, it's so loud, and there's so much body motion because it's so softly sprung in order to go over. You know entire countries or whatever uh that there's just a lot of communication from the device to you and so it makes it incredibly fun and engaging and involving i i'm gonna object to one thing you said it would roll over entire other countries this is an american car and this is for use in america only and no other countries exist and that's what i love it it is so they have all been pulverized beneath the tires of exactly that is such the embodiment of america fuck yeah Mm -hmm. it's so clear in its purpose it knows exactly you're gonna see that every car on my list here um and probably yours is has clarity of purpose that's the defining characteristic of 911 st it's the defining characteristic of nevera it's now the finding defining characteristic of raptor r the team behind this knew exactly what the fuck they wanted and they knew and exactly they what they're doing yep I, th- I think the, the really bad cars result from muddled focus or people who are internally fighting and you see the compromises that result from that yeah. like physically manifested in a shitty car yeah absolutely and that's great always point. really unpleasant yep great point okay doing doing you can keep going until we have one that's not an overlap i'm just seeing if there's any others on this list that oh lotus amira it didn't make my list really huh. and it's not for the fact that i didn't absolutely adore it it's that there's another one that i had to put in its place so it's it was i think number 11 but okay uh it does all the things that I fear modern cars can't do anymore. It, it reminds me of an old car because it gives you it this, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like an old car. When I say old car, I don't mean like 10 years ago. I mean like 30 or 40 or 50 years ago. Uh, but it's incredibly good at doing things that I like to do and that are important to me and that are, are present in a lot of my favorite all-time cars. I mean, it just sounds good. It's really good over a fast road that's bumpy and technical. And, you know, it just does all the things that make me happy in a sort of sporting car. Perfect. Yeah. I, I can't disagree with any of that. That is it. That Amira is, they nailed it. So what did you put in its place? GR 86. 
Uh. And the reason I did that is because even though you and I both said in our episode that we would both take the Amira 10 times out of 10 over a base 911, I don't swim in that circle. I don't, I'm not buying either of, of those cars. Uh, but I do swim in the $30,000 circle and I would absolutely take one. In fact, I keep thinking about wanting one. However, it, it, I, it needs to have more usability. I need to have a hatch. So if that was a two door, four seat hatch, your Elise doesn't have a hatch, but the Elise is a different purpose. So every, I, I need one daily driver that does sort of daily driver usable. Oh, stuff. so you were envisioning this as your daily. Oh, absolutely. To replace the e-golf. E-golf. Right. And the, oh. but the e-golf does the daily driver stuff better than the, um, than the 86 does because a, it's more efficient. B mostly it's the form factor. Yeah. It's back doors, back seats, back doors, back seats. Hatchery. It's usable. Not um, hatchery. That's the wrong word. That's where fish are born. Yeah, Farm exactly. fish. Uh, hatch, I can throw stuff in the back. I mean, in, you know, with, without having a truck and I don't have to come and get the, the minivan every time I need to throw something in the back of a, of a car. Yeah. I, I think minivan plus GR 86 can solve your problems. Yeah, but I the then no, and it's no. not that good. It's depreciating. We've talked about this before. Okay, depreciation. I'm, yeah. I'm really cheap, and I yeah. a forty thousand dollar car, a thirty five thousand dollar car that's on a, the downward spiral. So is, you're gonna you're gonna check back in in two to three to four years. And see I think if they're it cheap would enough. Need, no. What's the price point? It, when they're cheap enough to replace Beatrice, I will. So Beatrice, the shitbox E30. No, in all seriousness, because Beatrice is the sort of disposable <laughs> salvage titled. Um, oh, that car is a salvage title? Oh, yeah. Oh, we both have salvage yeah, title cars do. now. Right. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> we'll find out next week. Um, yeah, no, B is the is the car that like, I don't have to worry about. I don't want a $40,000 car that I have to worry about. Like, oh, crap, it got hit. And now I have to explain paint if I go to sell it in. Like the e-golf, I got so cheap and its operating costs are so zero that I don't, I'm, I'm okay taking that chance because of the usability and whatever else. So GR86 well, your cost gets basis of that car is somewhere in the teens by the time you factor in the federal incentives and all that stuff. No, I paid, oh God, I've never admitted this, have I? You don't have to now. I was trying to give you an out. I paid $9,845 for that car brand new. And that was a function of the end of the run for e-golfs that they had to get rid of before before the ID4s landed on the shores or before the ID4s would be released from the port is what it was. Um, and the federal tax incentive, a huge California tax incentive that was going on, it, uh, electric company incentive. And so out the door, that car was under... 11 under 11 under yeah. 11 it was 10,000 and change and so it's really easy for me the reason i haven't really talked about this is really easy for me to spout about what a great car it is at that price you can't do wrong but the reality is i've now driven an e-golf every day as my daily driver for six years and i've never had between the two better, between the two of them never had a better car that just does it just disappears it, it you know it, it handles it's got great steering for e-passes does everything well um and it costs nothing so yeah, what I, I don't think that story would have changed at all if that car was thirty thousand um, bucks, or or if I'd paid the full thirty one thousand dollars. No one did, um, right. sticker price. But um, you know, it was cheap because it was a it's a it is was and is a very compromised compliance car, yes. one hundred and twenty five mile range. Uh, we'll talk next week about uh, my plan to get some of that range back. Um, but uh, yeah, no, that's just is a hell of a daily driver, and at that price, come on. Fuck, I'm never going to be able to sell that and make money on it now. I have to sell yes, it to a non-carmudgeon. Yeah, which I'm, I'm not sure gonna sell exists. It. There's nothing. I am so upset Unless about this. you find a $9,800 GR86. Yeah. Then I can, yeah, but then I got usability, whatever. Yeah. Then you have a minivan. Well, then no, then I sell Beatrice. 
Because Beatrice is like, I can knock it around. I can I can slide it around. I don't give a shit about it. It's not that I don't give it. I love the car. But it's not, I don't have a significant investment in it. And getting a panel painted would actually increase the value. No paint on the rest of it. Anyway, yes. enough of that. Um, yes. Okay, so we have each done three cars. Is that right? Yes. Go for it. Uh, I've done four because I did 911. Okay. ST. Uh, if we're going to, we'll, we'll stick in 911. I have two 911s on my list. Of course. How about a Saco era Mercedes? There's none. Cause driving uh, is there, not the best none? part of those cars. Oh, there's no okay. Saco Mercedes right. on my list at all. Right. Oh no, 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 no. I lied. I completely <laughs> lied. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, we'll do one of <laughs> the Jake's laughing. At <laughs> one you, of the 911s. Um, the 997 GT2. Oh, magic car. But the GT2. I know. I thought I was going to hate that car. Yeah. Because I hate turbos. Yes. But it just has this like sort of old school unhingedness and sort of turbochargedness to it. I I think it has something to do with the fact that it has, you know, 650 horsepower, whatever it is, going to the rear wheels. Uh, And so there's just this sort of, it's like a, it is of all of the turbocharged Porsches, it is the thing that feels most like a turbocharged GT3 to me. Mm -hmm. I've never driven a 993 GT2. That's those are seven figure cars, yeah. and I'm sure that those are very exciting. And I have a client who bought one of those and then had a 993 RS, which is their GT3. So he had the NA and the turbo version of the car, basically. And he sold the NA one when he bought the turbo one. Really? And I respect his judgment. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, the, the 997 GT2 is one of those like cars that feels a little older than it is in terms of like its spirit of being a little bit wacky and mm-hmm. just like trying to kill you. I drove one at on track at PECLA, Porsche Experience Center LA, when I did the, what was one of the first Revelations episode where I did every generation of Andy Pointing. It was basically a celebration of GT, car mm-hmm. division. And I genuinely, I had never driven a GT. I've driven all the turbos, but never driven a GT2. And mm-hmm. I genuinely thought I was going to fucking hate it. Yes, um, because all the turbos are so, yeah, meh. Uh, oh no, Jake is going to make a thing about, here we go, insert Jake's thing about us going, cars. Well, it's Porsche's fault for making such mad cars. I said the best boost control of any turbocharged car I've ever driven on the track. It genuinely feels naturally aspirated with just a pedal delay, better brake bite and controllability than GT3 RS, clutches, rider shift, 15 times the speed, still very nimble and adjustable and the one thing no one ever told me is that a GT2 turns the 911 into a front engine rear drive car in terms of adding power oversteer to the arsenal of tools you have to play with with handling. Power slides on the way out? Yep. Never thought I would love this, but I do. Mm. That was it. It was every all of the magic of GT3 minus 30% acoustics. Yes. Um, and some RPM. And some RPM. But the ability to slide it like a, it had so much power that you could slide it around like a front engine rear drive car. Fantastic car. Yeah. So I found one of those for a client cool. and uh, I got to motor around it and I was like, man. Jealous. Uh, if you're going to be in big dollar land, oh, let, oh, let's say in turbo land, Audi RS2 Avant. Oh, that was this. Uh, that was on my list last year because I think I drove it for the first time, or maybe even twenty one. But whatever year I drove that car was on my list. Yeah, well. and it's it made an appearance again this year because it was just it is such a transcendent experience. It is unlike any Audi ever made before since. Mm-hmm. Um, it is spectacular. It's one of my favorite cars. Unlike to drive. any Audi before since. 
B7R is four. I was just going to offer that as a possibility. That's the only one that comes close in terms of proper chassis tuning. Mm -hmm. But Audi, look, for for the Audi fans out there, I'm really sorry. Audi does many things well. Chassis tuning is not one of them. And I believe that Audi has done two cars properly, ever. Um, And one is the RS2 and the other one is the B7R is four. Do you feel that way about the R8 as well? Parts of it. The V10 was unhinged and unmanageable. The V8 understeered like a pig. Um, mm. I don't think either of them were perfect in the way that RS2 is. Um, or any Porsche, spicy Porsche. No, I mean, they're not, not even close. Yeah, I mean, Ford and Audi, there have been some that are great. Car and RS3 is very, 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 very good. Um, but this sort of transcendent, like a car that just disappears beneath you and becomes part of you, that you feel like you're wearing a cape, but that's just amplifying your own power and your super yeah. strength. It is unbelievable. I was so delighted to have the opportunity to drive that car on panoramic highway with no traffic. I just gelled with that car and was just, it's one of the all-time great drives yeah. for and, me. And it's everything I hate. In I cars. know. And, and somehow just, they just German engineering their way to a great <laughs> outcome, even yeah. though you're like, I'm sorry, you chose what layout? Who? What? Where is he? Yeah, everything is all wrong, and yet. Yeah, which is very 911 yeah. as yeah. well. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. Porsche, man. Yep. When they touch stuff. Uh, turbocharged cars. Uh, this one I drove for a very brief time, and so I didn't form that many opinions, but I already, from what I experienced of it in the brief moments that I drove it, you were there, I was like, I, I really like this thing. Uh, Renault R5 Turbo. <gasps> I didn't drive one this year, or that would have been on my list. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I only choose, so the criteria for me is it has to be a VIN, a serial number of a car that I've never driven before. Mm-hmm. So the RS2 could not appear this year because it, I've driven that mm-hmm. car before. So this was the first R5 Turbo I'd driven, and you know, it just feels, it reminded me, in, of course, in some ways, like a um, Turbo 16 or a 205 Turbo 16, a Group B Which is, of course, car. Every, a car that everyone can relate to, and we've all driven. Well, no, just like weird French mid-engine hatchbacks, yeah. okay. right? Hot hatches that where they put the engine in the back. Right. That's French, right? There's not that big of a crowd of cars that they've done that to. Well, there, there's not, all the French have done it. You know, the, the Clio V6, mm-hmm. for example. Yeah. Uh, so it... But it, what it did is this: it uh, it looks kind of frumpy and weird and it's sort like of toad. economy car like. Yeah. And then you get in it and start operating, and you're like, "This is like a mid-engine exotic." And so yeah. it has this weird uh, disconnect between how the car looks and what you think. It's like just you can't help but think, especially if you. I'd driven a base. I'd never driven a Le Car. I'd never driven a Renault 5, uh, but I had driven a 205 GTI. Mm-hmm. And so you get into the 205 Turbo 16, and even because they look similar from the mm-hmm. outside, you're like, oh, it's going to be very similar. It's nothing like it. Mm-hmm. And so you get this experience that on one hand really reminds you of like a Ferrari because mm-hmm. the control forces are heavy and it yep. makes all these noises and it's very demanding and it feels like a mid-engine exotic, but you're in this like sort of weird frumpy box yep. shape. Uh, and so that to me was just like mega cool and I w- would love to spend more time I highly recommend that you do. The one that I drove was uh, Randy Donenberg's car. Yes, same. Same car. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that's right. I was there. We were in, um, yeah. Car Week. We were in Car Week. Fantastic. One of my my best drives ever. Um, All right. And since we're in mid-engined exotics, I'll go straight to the Ferrari 296 GTB. 
Ah, okay. Um, modern car. Modern car and a turbo and an automatic and, and a, a hybrid and a V6 and all the things that I hate in the world. All you need to do is add a uh, four-wheel drive and then it'll be the tri- totally tri- tri- not a trifecta. It's like Quinto the factor eight-fecta or, of suckery. Octo-fecta. <laughs> octo um, the Ferrari 296 is the best Ferrari, uh, the best mid-engined Ferrari of the last 20 something years. It, I think to me, it does what um, so many of the other cars have failed to do. What mid-engine Ferrari caused you to draw the line at 20 years? Oh, I just made it up. Um, I can't what say What other the best mid-engine f- Ferrari ever is better than stated slightly differently? 308 GT4. <laughs> no. 246. It's another one that's on my list, so we're not going to talk about it. Oh, it's the 206. I'm not going to talk. It, or the L series. It's a Dino. Stop it. We're, this is, this is, you don't get ahead of yourself here. Okay. It is, put it this way. It is the best of all of the modern mid-engine automatic dual clutch transmission Ferraris. Um, is it, it the best two pedal Ferrari yes. ever? No. 812. I like the front engine. So I'm a fan of Ferrari's front engine V12, naturally aspirated cars, more so than I am anything else. I think they have the more, uh, more character. They make. However, the 812 became a mansory looking um, caricature of itself. That's why I'm an F12 man. Yes, same here. Um, the 296 looks like a Ferrari to me. It's elegant. It's sumptuous. It's curvaceous. It's beautiful instead of being brutalist. Yes. Um, it's the opposite of the Lamborghini approach. Exactly. There's an element of taste and sophistication. And, yeah. and understatedness. So what I loved yes. most about staring at that car was, I mean, you, for initial glance, I'm like, wow, it looks like a big Alpha 4C. Like there's mm-hmm. so much similarity to a 4C. But then you're looking at it and you're like, okay, there's a curve here, there's whatever. And I'm not one to sit and really stare and just observe cars. It happens, but it, it takes a special car to make me really stop and look. And what I couldn't stop noticing on those cars, how much arrow there was in the car and how how many spoilers, how many intakes, how many tricks were being played with the air that are invisible to your yeah. eye. All of them are invisible. So it's as if somebody in the design department said, we need to make a car that's aerodynamically efficient um, and does all these different things with downforce. But let's not advertise the spoiler. Let's leave that to the Countach 25th anniversary. Yeah, it's very McLaren F1, in fact, right? There's all this crazy arrow in that car. And he said, like, I don't want a rear wing on this car. Mm -hmm. And so it has this little fold down one. And they added this fan that Mm -hmm. sucks in air underneath and creates downforce so that you didn't have to look at all these like wacky shapes. You know, it's debatable how successful the F1 is in terms of its aesthetics. I think some people are like, it's not that attractive. I don't think it's so beautiful. I don't think it's gorgeous. I don't think it's ugly either. It's just not, it doesn't have the sizzle aesthetically that it a almost, lot of Italian cars do. It almost looks like an insurance rendering of like, you know, just, or have AI come up with like an anonymous looking supercar. Yeah. That's yeah. not what it does. I would have one in a second, but yeah. um, I mean, I've never driven one and it's still my hero. And it's the one I'm most scared to drive because can you imagine? I hate it. But um yeah. But yeah, no, the Ferrari does all of that simplicity and elegance with sex. Yes, um, in the great Italian tradition. <laughs> and then I will say it is the best sounding Ferrari turbocharged engine ever. Um, it sounds like a V12. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a V6, um, but they called it the mini V12, I think, when they're in development. Um, and it was 
uh, there's so many layers and complexity in the noise that I don't know what's quite going on. I mean, there's the turbocharge. The turbos are very, very vocal and the blow-off valves and the wastegates and everything in addition to hearing real mechanical noise from the engine mm -hmm. that changes a lot. Um, and so it's got all of this texture and character in, in ways that the flat plane V8s just don't. Mm -hmm. um, and it doesn't sound angry. It sounds beautiful mm -hmm. and aggressive. Wow. Um, the steering is unbelievable. The car feels genuinely massless in the same way that all modern Ferraris do. There's no yeah. bushing compliance. There's yeah. no weight transfer. Yeah. Um, I got to drive it in a, we had, I had it for two days and I think it, it rained 14 inches in those two days. So I never drove it in anything but torrential rain. Mm -hmm. um, and it was, a handful to say the least um mm -hmm. it does snap into power oversteer after initial understeer it could be the tires right i mean it was horrendous was it on conditions. pirellis i don't remember what it was on but i don't i just remember it being it scared the shit out of me um but it exhilarated me in doing so it wasn't like it hated me it was just like you're in for a fucking real ride i mean yeah. the car's genuinely i mean what didn't somebody just clock it at like a nine flat through the quarter mile I, I should look no, at that. I don't have Wi-Fi on. It is it was is so much faster than it should be. Like it's nuts. Um, but it does all the nuts by other than the hateful UX, because you can't mm -hmm. like, you know, every time you turn the wheel, you're turning fucking everything on because the capacitive touch uh controls. I just it was usable, it's wonderful, it doesn't scrape anywhere despite that huge front overhang. I don't even know how the hell that happens. Magic. So, mm. so know, really cool. the other mid-engine Ferrari on your list? Well, I'm stealing your spot, aren't I? <laughs> Isn't it your turn? There's continuity here. Uh, Ferrari 246, do you know? Yeah. Um, it is everything that we, every virtue that we've extolled about the 308 GT4 over the last how many years um, amplified. Yes. It is, even though it's smaller and doesn't have rear seats, it's the more usable car because of because the door is actually located where the seats are rather than- You having to commute from the location where the door hole is yeah. to the seat. Yes. Yes. Um, and all the controls are super, they feel very familiar. They're the same as the 308, but they're super light and delicate. Mm -hmm. uh, that V6 is the best sounding V6 ever made. Um, the suspension is spectacular. Um, I was crushed when I had to give it back. Yeah, um, it is the vintage Ferrari I most enjoy driving. And like I said, I think in that other episode, it's the car that I initially sort of was influenced by the notion that it was the Ferrari you bought if you couldn't afford a real one. And so it took me a long time to come around to that car. And then one day I remember just driving one and being like, wait a minute, this is the one to buy. Yeah. And that's why I bought that 308, because I said, wow, it feels so much like a 246, yeah. but it's a number of dollars that I can afford as opposed to, you know, three, four, five hundred thousand dollars 500000 right. So both of those cars together. It's nice that there's a situation where you're like, this car I adore and it's possible to own something that mm -hmm. gives me 88% of the experience uh, for a number of dollars that is reasonable. I'll be honest, if you could get a 246 Dino with a V8 from our 308, um, it, with that kind of power, and even though the noise is not, the noise of the V6 is nicer than the noise yeah. of the V8, I would, and if it were three or $400,000, I would sell everything. Really? Not everything, but. Yeah. I mean, you can build a hot two V6. I, I can't, look, the reality is I can dream about that. I really, there's no way I can come close to affording that. But that was yeah. my top three Ferraris of all time to drive mm -hmm. are 246 Dino, 288 GTO, and 308 GT4. 
<laughs> um, and one of them is four and a half million dollars. One of them is a half a million dollars, and one's fifty. You grand. gotta drive an F forty and an F fifty. I don't think I would like an F forty better than I would like a two eighty GTO. That's fair. I, I you gotta like drive to an F fifty. I don't want to. <laughs> Why make me even more miserable? It's 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 easy and friendly, and it, the engine is in fact bolted to the chassis of the car, and it's very present in the engine in the driver's seat. It's just ah uh, okay. You got to drive an F fifty. I will choose a vintage Ferrari. Also, I have one vintage Ferrari on my list for this year. It was a uh, two fifty uh, Cal Spider oh, replica that I drove. Uh, and that car, it was a little ergonomically compromised because every time that somebody builds one of these cars, I think that there's a risk of, you know, mispackaging it. But it was loud and it was beautiful and everything worked well and it just made all the, you know, open, beautiful shaped uh, Ferrari V12 convertible experiences. It was just everything that a vintage Ferrari should be. Uh, so that was my vintage Ferrari for the year. That is also unattainable, probably. I mean, it's under a million dollars. <laughs> <laughs> Practically pocket change. Uh, okay, so while well, we're the on real the real ones are like 15, 20, 20 yeah, million. Um, which is a real number, despite the fact that it sounds like not a real number. Um, I'm going to go the other way. And if you're going crazy expensive, I'm going to go GR Corolla Marizo. Oh, I have a GR product on my list as well. Supra? No, Yaris. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Okay, so we have covered basically other than Supra, which is a BMW. I mean, I have two GRs. I have GR86 and GR Corollas. Mm-hmm. When was the last time you thought you would have a Toyota on your list of your best drives of the year? Well, um, last year, because I had a Yaris GR on my list last year also, a different Yaris GR. So tell me what you loved about the Yaris, and then we can fight about this. Um. I mean, a lot of it has to have been the use case. I drove it from Amsterdam to Monaco. That's one does. <laughs> I mean, it was... I want your life. It was... <sighs> Sorry. There's obviously some fantastic roads and just cruising around in Europe and all of that is, is really fun. But I mean, the car just... I don't know. It has this a level of personality and joyfulness and liveliness that is very rarely present in modern cars. And so, you know, just... The fact that it was made and that it exists and that it's affordable and you can buy it and that it's useful. I mean, did a road trip with baggage and everything in it. And like, it's, it's not great on the Autobahn, obviously, but, but if, generally speaking for most use cases, it's really a pretty great all rounder. And that's why there's all these like sort of fabulously wealthy collectors in Europe who all daily drive a Yaris GR because it mm-hmm. gives you this entertainment and joy in a modern car with like, this, for them disposability because yeah. it's a cheap car that's modern and if you ball it up you just go out and buy another one it's the reason why gti is a gti right i mean yeah. it's everything the modern gti should be mm-hmm. uh it, with you know it's yeah. i like three cylinder noises too yeah uh everything you said and more for the marizo because i did i was lucky enough to drive a base gr a marizo and a yaris i was driving a circuit uh, Yaris GR, which is the so that's the one with the the good diffs, brakes and yeah. diffs. So I had the base GR with open diffs. Yaris. And, uh, I'm sorry, base GR Yaris. Yeah, uh, with open diffs and whatever, and it was just as entertaining as the Corolla was, but less um, competent. Far less competent, but there there were a bunch of little intang- I guess they're intangibles that I liked much better on the Corolla, um, including so the Marizo's stupid because it's four doors but it only has two seats. So re- what I really want is a circuit. 
yeah, with like, the Marizo, with a bunch of Marizo stuff in it, like the short yes. gears and what. Um, but I feel like the Marizo, like the steering was better in the Marizo, uh, uh, and the yeah, steering was better, and the shifter was better. Shifter was much better. Driving position is nicer in the Corolla. So it's all the same thing. Have a GRR slash Corolla, one way or another, best drive. No, you know, would, choose your poison and what's available in your market. It's funny that we both had those mm-hmm. that three cylinder yeah. powertrain on our yeah. list are they're effectively the same car similar. i mean yeah they're the same basic the same suspension underneath it literally every piece of mechanics is the same except the steering rack mm-hmm. okay how many cars do we have left i, left? Have I think two. i have i think i might have two left mm-hmm. also no i have three left okay, go yours again uh the other 911 on my list mm-hmm. is a 964 rs uh, that car to me is the, if you could if I could have only one 911, that would be the one uh, because over it's, a it's, Carrera two seven RS. Yes, because here's why: because it has just proper proper brakes and tires, mm. and so it's it, it does exactly what I use my nine sixty four for, which is that it is old enough to have all this character of an air cooled car, but new enough that it has ABS and modern levels of grip, which means that. I have quite literally in that car kept up with on a, on a tight road, people in, you know, eight twelves and a new speedster, nine, nine, one speedster that it is exactly the right combination of old and new. And it has all of the sort of magic and liveliness of a old school proper, like GT three of its day. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also a lot of competence and joy and the changes that they made were substantial. I mean, the car weighs 2,700 flat. Oh so it's 10% lighter and it has, you know, a lighter flywheel and thinner glass and less soundproofing and less undercoating and not eleven seats. ST of its day. Yeah, it is. I mean, I mean it's a thing. formula that Porsche has been using since the seventies. Yeah, uh, and it's so the make a nine eleven that will piss off the doctors who are buying the the regular cars or, or de- and deafen them. Yeah, fabulous. <laughs> Uh, and I got, I drove it out, uh, Lucas Valley road. It's a good road and like had a good couple runs in it. And it's just, you know, it is the nine, I guess the 993 RS probably does the same thing, but I prefer the 964 to the 993. Okay. Uh, so that's my other 911 cool. on my list. Do another one. Uh, <laughs> this one is going to be super weird to you. Uh, it is a Bentley Mulsanne EWB extended wheelbase. They brought 25 extended wheelbase. I didn't even know that existed. Yeah. To the U.S. This is a modern Mulsanne. Yes, this okay. is 2017. It's mm-hmm. the the final send off of the six, six and three, three quarter. quarter. Need to V8. Yeah, and the thing is just so big. It's so large and in charge. It's got like electric curtains on the rear windows and all this shit. It's got a champagne refrigerator and all that, and you know, <laughs> 600 foot pounds of torque mm-hmm. and drives smaller than it is and there's just this sort of like imperiousness to it and this like indulgence to it where you're just like man this is like it's the way to be i don't know the whole thing is so improbable you're just like what the hell is this car why does this exist it's like old and it's new and it's like a thing to be chauffeured in but like you might cross shop it with like a maybach but you wouldn't because it's much cooler and it's the technology is much worse but it just it's so of a different era and like you can't touch anything in the car and not have it be wood metal or leather like finding plastic is hard inside of one of those cars it's just, and it, you know, it's got the three inch deep wool, lamb's wool carpets. It's, and it smells amazing. It's just this totally over the top automotive experience with a level of sort of like authenticity and a collision between old and new. That's really 
unmatched. I don't think there's anything else quite like that. Yeah, I think that Bentley did a um, far better job with that than Rolls-Royce does with their stuff because they, mm -hmm. the Rolls-Royce stuff, though very impressive in a lot of ways, tends towards the gaudy. Yes. And I think that- And this is not that. It's not. It has and this it, gravitas to mm -hmm. it, this realness. I love the Milton. It's old money. Yeah. And the, a, a Rolls-Royce feels like new money and this feels like old money. Yeah. Which is strange. It shouldn't be that Rolls-Royce feels like new money, yeah. but um, yeah, no. I mean, I guess old old money didn't sell. So, I mean, Malzahn's dead yep. for this reason. But yep. yeah, I, it's a spectacular car. That, I get it. I didn't know about the wheelbase, but um, uh, I'll do one quickly. It's Lancia Delta Integrale. Um, really? So this was- this, Oh, it's modified. It's spicy. Oh, it's spicy as all hell. But this is one of those- uh, as we talked about at the beginning of the episode, one of these things that are sort of colored by how I did it, how I yes, used it. Yes. I had that on track. Mm -hmm. um, this is a car that I've driven on the back roads before. Um, and it made the list just because it so put a smile on my face. It mm -hmm. sounded so great. It looked so good. It was so batshit nuts. It beat the Marizo, no, it beat the yes. GR Yaris around the track by a couple seconds. Um, but it turned under power. I mean, it's so modified that it's it yes, does things that most representative. Doesn't. Yeah. But it, it, the R5 Turbo would have outdone it if I had driven them both on the same road in the same place and whatever, blah, blah, blah. But in for the lack of an R5 Turbo this mm -hmm. year, Delta took it because mm -hmm. I had a just riot driving that car. Yeah. Made me laugh a lot. Um, my last one is a car that I had an absolute riot in as well. It's the actually, uh, I was filming a BTS with this car and... Uh, 190 Evo 2. Yeah. Have I talked at all about since I drove that car? I guess I haven't probably. I don't think you did. Um, this is a car that does my favorite type of driving beautifully, but is also a Mercedes-Benz. And it might be the only Mercedes-Benz that can do that. And it's also one of the best cars to do that, which is to a back road where you're just hauling ass. It has this mm -hmm. thing that is all the things that are important, like good approach and departure angles and ground clearance, ride compliance, like which means it has good body control and that bumps never upset it. And like an epic motor that revs high and sounds great. I mean, it just, it, you drive this thing like a, choose whatever car, you know, like the Integrale or a 911 or a GTI on a back road or just like, holy shit, what a sensational back roads device. And it solves all the normal complaints that people normally have in the cause where it's about, you know, excessive body roll and 15 inch wheels and tires and the limitations that come with this. And it has a faster steering ratio than the standard Cosworth. And so it, all of the sort of the dynamic faults, what few exist with the Cosworth are resolved by this car, which is, you know, suspension brakes and like un unbelievable brakes also. And you're just hauling ass and having an absolute blast. And then you like look down and you see the three pointed star at the end of the hood. And you're just like, what the fuck? Am I in a Mercedes <laughs> doing this? Like just epically good. Just such a pleasurable car to hustle. And it solves all my complaints about the lesser versions too. Which are? Uh, the oh, slopes, the, the steering, steering ratio yeah. and the, the limitations imposed by 15 inches and the body roll. So I pulled up my last Evo 2 drive. Um, huge, enormous grip and composure on back roads. The 2.316 like feels like a flying living room by comparison, <laughs> yeah. wallowing and pitching everywhere. Yes. Uh, not as insane to drive as the looks promise. That's true. Um, uh, and suspension ruins the duality of the 2.316, making yes, a single purpose for you, right? Um, but it's it's no firmer than a, a 911 um, RS of the era. <laughs> 
Well, here's it. I am so sick to death of people bashing on the Evo 2 and the 2316 when they drive it. And mm-hmm. I think what they're doing is they're going in a straight line on a smooth piece of road and going, well, it's not that fast. Yes. Are, and they think it's going to drive like an F40 because it has this wing on it. Right. It's, they're not F40s. It's a four-cylinder Mercedes-Benz luxury product. But what the they're... That car's ability to shrug off everything, the W201 chassis, both the regular 2.316 and the Evo 2, the ability to shrug off anything, mid-corner, any camber, any anything, and just be predictable, um, manageable, and enjoyable at all times on a back road is mm-hmm. almost unmatched. Yeah. Um, yeah. I absolutely loved, for, for me, the whole two three uh, the whole W201 thing is bookended by the early 16 valve, like we both own, mm-hmm. and that Evo. And yeah. none, of the, none of the other ones count. I've never driven um, an Evo 1, but I think it could be like almost as good. I, yeah, the, my problem is if... <laughs> My problem is the almost as good isn't good enough when it's priced the way it is, because the early cars are. Yeah, but are, it's it costs less than half as much as an Evo two. But it doesn't have the wing. And remember that the engine in the two point five sixteen Evo one and Evo two is a different engine from the regular two point five. That's a short stroke. Yeah. It's, it's, so I've, if I'm going to get into a car that's got a bespoke engine, it's going to cost me that much to repair, and parts are going to be tough. Just give me the original hundred eighty five horsepower version that that is manageable for a fifth the price. I'm an Evo one guy. I like that. I like that experience enough, and like the fast steering box and the higher RPM. I think I would just I'd Evo one it and save. Okay. I would. I mean, if I had, if money were right, that's it. Uh, Okay, last one for me. Speaking of money being no option, Lucid Air Sapphire. Really? Oh yeah, that makes sense based on your discussion. That's handling sedan of all time. Wow, so you have two EVs on your list this year. (gasps) What was the other one? The Remots. Oh yeah, yeah. Two multiple motor uh, torque vector. That is the key. I mean, that's. I think the 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 moral of that story is that once you get the magic of being able to control each wheel independently, then you finally can cross the threshold of like, okay, this is decidedly better as a driver's yeah. car than a gas car because you can individually control each wheel, which is something that, you know, gasoline cars would love to be able to do, but can't, can't. because there's only one power unit. Yeah. Um, yeah. And every, every ability to, or every attempt to try to do that with torque vectoring diffs and all this other stuff is a bandit on a bullet wound. Um, yeah. and it still will never be anywhere close. Um, Yeah. Cool, two EVs. Oof. Look at I mean, you. That's yeah. not good, but hey, you at least have a shitbox Toyota on yours and a shitbox Renault. And yeah. a it's funny we have parallels, right? The, yeah. the, I mean, this, if anything, reinforces the fact that we're both whores because there's such <laughs> different experiences that we have all selected as best drives. We'll but just, I mean, any, look, as long as it's good, we'll do anything. You have a Mulzan. You have a, you know, Mulzan is your luxury car. I have my Sapphire. <laughs> we both have a Raptor R. We both have a 911 that's hot as hell. Like an yes. S, your, yours is ST and yours is the, mine's ST and yours is the RS. Uh, we both have the GRs. We both have the hot hatch in that Delta versus um r5 turbo like they're actually very very vintage hot hatch yeah, yeah. vintage turbo I hot mean, hatch we both have vintage a vintage ferrari as yeah. well pretty neat you don't have a modern ferrari i don't have a modern ferrari um but hey right. you have a cal spider replica on that so i have uh, nothing to say um okay well thanks for joining us for this year end uh hopefully we don't drive anything amazing in the last few days of the year or else we're gonna have to I don't know, fold it into next year. I know I'm about to drive the Rover that could, that could <laughs> skew the list. No, it's already, should already be on your list. 
because uh, you drove it for it. the first time. This well, time. there you have it. <laughs> Breaking news. The rover didn't make the list of my 10. Me either. Uh, great. Join us next week for our Christmas special. Uh, you mean uh, Toyota-thon. Honda days. Happy Honda Happy days. Happy Honda days. Yes. Um, for our holiday episode of The Carmudgeon Show. We'll see you then. <laughs>